This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. It's Carm Capriato. Good to have you all here. It's another Town Hall Academy. January 13th, it's a Friday. Uh, I don't know, maybe that's your lucky day. It, it never mattered to me uh, if you're superstitious at all. Man, I don't know about you, but we're having snow again. I know the country's got all kinds of crazy weather going on. We hope the best for everybody who's out there. And welcome to uh, Town Hall Academy from Remarkable Results Radio and the Aftermarket Radio Network, where all the voices, insights, and ideas that shape the future of the automotive service aftermarket reside here. Hey, guys, how are you? Malin Newton, CEO of Educational Seminars Institute, the ASCCA member of the year 2017. I just found that out, Malin. That's kind of nice. It was nice to be honored. Yeah, I bet you it was. Um, Author of Joy of Hiring. If you feel like you want to get motivated by the joy of hiring, we've done an episode with with Nalen on that, but the book is a great book. It is like an an instructional manual. ESISeminars.com is where Malin is. is. And uh, Vic Tarasik is here, CEO of Shop Owner Coach. Hey, good to see you, Carm. Shopownercoach.com. Hey guys, uh, we're going to talk about advice for new shop owners. It's a business coach's lab, and from their perspective, and uh, I we've done this in the past, but it's been a while, so I figured it's time to update it because there's so much going on in our industry. A lot of young, great people joining and wanting to get into this great mix. So we we want to help them as best as we can. A high five to our great sponsors. You know, few customers will ever tell you to give them less information about the cost of a repair. Offer full transparency with notes, videos, and photos so even the customer with the least expertise can see why they need your expertise. How about that? On the web at GetShopware.com. And with over 2,300 SKUs and 95% sales coverage on fuel pumps, Delphi has everything you need to replace your customer's fuel pump from OE. M quality pumps, modules, GDI pumps, and fuel tank cleaning supplies to instructional videos. Talk to my friends at DelphiAftermarket.com. This is going to be a fun and very interesting episode. These guys literally are passionate about this topic. You know, when I tossed it up to the industry, uh, I think they raised their hand first. Of course, you always go with the people who raise their hands first <laughs> for anything, right? For anything. Ooh, 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 I want to talk about this. All the points that they're going to bring up, we've discussed on hundreds of podcasts, but I'd like to succinctly bring it all and bridge it all together so that, you know, we can send people to this by saying, oh, so you want to start a shop? Got to listen to Town Hall Academy, episode 311. So let's start this whole thing out. Malin, I want you to hit this whole hobby thing. You know, I'm really good. I got a great hobby and I can open a shop like somebody is a great baker and they make great cupcakes and they should open up a bakery. And so many people that know say, "Uh uh-uh, that would not be the reason to get into business. Let's cover the hobby issue right up front. Well, there's so much more to this than just fixing the car. And I was just like most people that are listening to this and and most of us on this podcast is that we were good with our hands and we like working on cars. And so we decided that we could make money doing it, but with no business training. And, And that creates the problems because it's not about fixing the cars. There's so many parts of this that it can't be a hobby. It's got to be a full time job. And I just see so many people, they start out, you know, doing side jobs and they, they make pretty good money at it because they don't have the overhead a regular shop has. And they don't understand that 
and they go out and get that entrepreneurial seizure, open a business. Now they've got rent and liability insurance or work comp insurance, and they don't make any money. This needs to be a business, not a hobby. And just because you fix cars doesn't mean you're a businessman. So many people start their businesses, Vic, and uh, they think they can do it all by themselves because they have a friend, their their wife is in business, and they rarely seek out guidance and wisdom. Oh, and then to me, that's one of the biggest things. You know, what I love about guys that start a business coming out of being from being a technician is they are great problem solvers. They understand how to get through something. But what they don't think about is this. All the skills that they've learned over the years as a technician, almost none of them translate over to a business owner. And so they all, essentially their technical skills are obsolete when it comes to running a business. You know, it's like mail and said, you know, there's so many components to running a business, marketing, HR, hiring, firing, banking, that they don't stay, take the time to ask the questions. And that's where they get the knowledge. And it, whether it be a peer, whether it be another local businessman that operates a not necessarily a competitive business, but somebody who's somebody they might look up to. And I think the confidence that technicians have is what holds them back from asking the questions, because you know what? We're going to solve those problems. We're going to make it through. Ego. There was a time in my life, I will admit, that I always wanted to be Karnak. And for so many of our young people in here, <laughs> I think Vic and Malin know what I meant. But Johnny Carson always did this thing where he put the envelope, you know, he put the envelope up here. And he, of course, it was a comedy routine and he knew the answer to it before the question was read. And you always want to be the all-knowing and the all-seeing. And there was a point in time when I started to really learn what leadership was about and what I really had to do, I had to say, I don't know. Great idea. Let me get you an answer. Oh, I never thought of it that way. I think the vulnerability of leadership is more critical and important than ever. And when you look at the young people in our industry that have started shops two, three, four years in, they're doing millions of dollars, they're going to shutting down, going to training. They said, hey, I, 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 I want to hang around with really smart people. I don't want to be that person. That's the key, guys. To me, the smartest guy in the room is the guy who asks questions. Because there's a ton of knowledge around you. It all starts with asking a question. And we've heard there's no stupid question. And there really is no stupid question. Because if you ask the question, first off, you're going to get an answer. Second, the guys that are around you, they're hesitant to ask that question. They're getting an answer too because they were too afraid to ask. Yeah, exactly. You're showing a little bit of bravery, a little bit of humility, a little bit of teachability. You become smarter. Questions. You know, one of the things that you also run into is there's always, and I know Vic, you've run into this and Carms, you've seen it. Is there always that one guy in the class who thinks he should teach the class <laughs> and he has no basis to do that Yeah, because he has the experience of his shop. And unless you've been out and you've been in literally hundreds of shops, it's like fixing cars. Experience is king, right? Mm-hmm. And if you haven't gone out and visited shops and spent time with them and, and helped them, you're not really a good teacher. And that's the other side of us as an industry is kind of ego-driven is we're not good teachers. Right. So it's hard for us to teach other people because we're a little bit impatient and we think they should know everything we know. But it's taken us you know, years to, to accomplish what we've accomplished. It's going to take everybody you talk to years to do it. 
it's really tough to be the person who says, I don't know everything. I, I need to go seek knowledge out. But when you do that, mm-hmm. your life gets better. Yeah, I got a great side note here, guys. If you're the expert, what should you know? 80% of everything? <laughs> <laughs> Here's the problem with that terminology expert. You can't know everything. No, you, you know, I have 27, 28 books waiting for me to listen to. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly, you know, I drove my kids crazy with a very simple concept. Learn something new every day. I still feel that way. I want to learn something new every day. It doesn't matter where I'm at. I'm paying attention and go, what can I learn from this person? From the donut shop where I might stop to get coffee this morning from the restaurant I have lunch at. I'm looking around going, what can I learn from this person? may not be the same industry, but I'm going to learn something. You know, when we do these things, I listen to the other people. I listen to Vic because Vic's going to teach me something today. You're going to teach me something, Carm, because I want that. I enter a classroom. I want the knowledge. And that's the biggest problem we have is they walk in going, I don't need this, or I'm here because my boss told me to. Right. Well, you know, and it's funny, Carm, because you can tell the guys in the room who are the legends in their own mind when it comes to (laughs) business. They step back, they sit back, they cross their arms. And it's really funny because I'll take those guys on as a challenge. I was going to ask, what's the feeling of the expert? You're up there, you're hired, and if not, you're giving of your great expensive time, knowledge, and wisdom to the class, and somebody knows better than you, but then that's okay. You think Can you teach them one new thing, though, do you think? And that's how we started out. It's like, guys, you, you might have all this knowledge, but when you walk away from here, take away one thing, two things. It's like going to Apex. If you go away from Apex or Vision, learn one or two things, apply it to your business, apply it to your knowledge base, apply it to your toolbox, how much more will you have learned? And so that's usually, usually the nutcracker is... The guy's got his arms crossed. And I'm like, look, just take away one thing. We teach a marketing class. And I had one guy, well, my, my best marketing is word of mouth. I'm like, well, do me a favor. Stick with me. See if you pick something up. Right. And it's funny. I have one that I converted in one of my classes. And he said to me just the other day, he goes, you know what? I'm really glad I listened to you. You know, there's a saying out there that says knowledge is power. I'm going to throw the BS flag on that. Mm-hmm. Knowledge is not power. It's implementation of the knowledge you get that's power. And that's what Vic was talking about. If you go to class and you get one thing, one thing, and you go back and you apply it, and I mean really apply it, Mm -hmm. and let's say that one thing that you learn allows you to finish one more car a day at your average repair order. How much money is that worth to you in a year as a shop, right? Right. But if you walk in there going, what am I going to learn here? I've been doing this for 30 years. Or my favorite saying is, my grandpa didn't do it this way. My dad didn't do it this way. So I can't do it this way. Well, we're not working on your grandpa's cars. It's not your grandpa's economy. Mm-hmm. It's not even your dad's economy right now. We need to be f- flexible. We need to be fluid. And that's where a lot of people miss it. They're not fluid. Yeah. You said fluid. And I'm thinking of that river. You know, the river is always changing. The boundaries always change. You know, if, if a rock falls into it, it goes around it. The fluidity of today's knowledge base is very dynamic. So if you have to be seeking knowledge, you know, Malin and I, we both sit in classes, all coaches today, we don't, our knowledge didn't stop the day we started coaching. We have to continue to look and find areas that we can bring to our clients. Listen, both of you are learning every day. Every coach that I know learns every day and being fluid 
I love that you brought that up, Malin, and I think it's a critical strategy, if you will, and you're taking what you're learning from one client and moving it to another and building that overall teaching and, and, and passion statement. And how you taught a year ago or two or three years ago is completely different today because you guys are committed to keep up with the pace, keep up with the trends and see the strengths and, and manage the weaknesses. And it's not just clients. I look at everything, every business. You know, when I go to the airport, I'm looking at how they do things, how they manage things, how they talk to people, because different industry, but very many of the same issues, communication, angry customers. I mean, literally every business I go in, I drove my kids crazy. We'd sit in a restaurant and I go, okay, what do you think the average ticket is here? (laughs) How many people can they do this? We talked about business and what's really cool now, Carm, and Vic is my son is writing service at a dealership. Just last night, he called me and goes, hey, dad, do you got a moment? Sure, son. And we talked average repair order, average hours per repair order, CSI. He understands it differently now because he's doing it, right? And so I'm listening to him. When he took a breath, I said, hey, I guess you really did listen. You must have learned something in all those classes I drug you to. And he laughed. He goes, I paid attention, dad. It makes more sense now right. because I'm doing it. Oh, so that's really an interesting topic, Malin, Vic. He wasn't ready. So I started my business. I rolled my box into the garage at home or the rental piece that I got down the road, put up a shingle. Oh, I've got a market. I got to find people, hopefully word of mouth. Do we have to go through six months or a year to really find what my strengths are, my and my weaknesses so that I could then get into a networking group, hire myself a business coach, go to some business classes to fix what I need to fix. Should we wait till we need to fix it? Or should we focus on the fundamentals right out of the gate? That was my point Mm -hmm. is I've had people come to me who are technicians working for other people going, you know, I want to own my own shop. Mm -hmm. So I want to start right now learning how to be a good shop owner. He attended classes and we coached him for a year before he opened the business. And he was far ahead of the game when he opened his business, he made money the first year because he had some of those basic fundamentals already behind him, such as the pricing side of it, how to charge the correct amount of money, marketing. What word of mouth do you have when you open a business from scratch? And the best thing you can do is if you want to go out and start a business, I don't care if you're in the industry, outside the industry, find a coach that has the right personality for you, Mm -hmm. take a year and learn the business from somebody with experience, and then open your business. Right. You know, nothing tells a customer they need a new part faster than when they see a worn or broken one in their hands. Now, how do you do that in the digital age? Well, it's actually very easy. Thanks to DVX, you can send photos and videos within its messenger platform. It's like nothing else you've ever seen in an auto repair SMS before. Take the best of an Amazon-like experience and use it in your shop to show customers how great you are. DVX also makes it easy for customers to drop you a quick text or answer in the messenger bubble that arises from the repair order. It's like magic. Customers love seeing what they need to do and giving you a quick answer. You'll see your business's potential right in front of you. Your customers get on with their day and you get back to the repair. Everybody wins. It's time. Take it from me. GetShopware.com. As the trusted aftermarket brand for over 100 years, Delphi Technologies is by your side for every step of the repair process. 
The Delphi journey doesn't stop once the parts are ordered. Wherever your journey takes you, our quality parts gives you ease of mind when getting your customer's vehicle back on the road. Technicians know and trust Delphi as a quality brand. Each product undergoes rigorous testing to not only meet OE standards, but also enhance it in each opportunity. From 700 hours of spray testing on chassis components to fuel pumps tested for reliability up to 150,000 miles. And safety and reliability is paramount to help vehicles drive cleaner, better, and further throughout their lives. Delphi is also committed in developing products and services to prepare technicians for the future. Take advantage of how-to videos on YouTube, technician-led trainings, and our technical support line, and more. Turn to the aftermarket parts supplier with over 100 years of OEM trust and quality. Learn more about Delphi. Visit DelphiAftermarket.com. Hey, guys, I want to move into uh, something that was very profound uh, about the E-Myth. Uh, Vic, I, I know you want to talk about beginning with the end in mind from Covey. But I also, when when Gerber wrote his, I think, third book, and I can't remember the exact name of it, the E-Myth Revisited, I think it may have been called, it knocked me off my socks. I think it was within the first page or two, when every decision that you make in your business should be determined on its sale or succession. And so many times in the early phases, we're hoping we could make a decision just to get us through tomorrow, <laughs> okay? And I think part of the teachings and the learnings that we have to have when we put our businessman's hat on is to really see what the compounding effect of every decision that we make and where it will lead us. Agree or disagree? I totally agree. If you're going in the wrong direction right out of the gate and you wait a year, how what kind of second half adjustment are you going to have to make for the next year? And I think it's critical to step back and begin with that end of mind. And for some guys and gals, when they first start out, they're not thinking about 20 years, 15 years down the line. They're thinking about, like you said, getting through that day. And the way I look at it is I'm looking out five years. I'm looking out this next year. Every beginning of every year, I always look out and say, what do I want to do? Not just business-wise, but personal. A great vacation could be pull you through some of the more challenging days. But when it comes to a shop owner, you know, what's your end game? Where are you headed? You're going to sell your business one way or another. And on day one, you know that at some point that's going to come to a termination point, whether it be a sale to a very profound sale where you can earn a ton of money or an internal sale that your legacy continues. What is it that's about your personality that can, you can enhance the why you started your business to what will you do with your business when it comes down to 25 years? What do you need to retire? There's so many questions out of the beginning to start asking of a, of a young shop owner, even before they start. Malin, you believe in running a business that survives you, right? Mm -hmm. You have to, because what are you going to leave your family? And this is happening, you know, because the average age of a shop owner is so high now is these people are not retiring and they're not selling their businesses. They're dying. Their family has a business they don't know a lot about or won't run itself. So now they're basically auctioning this stuff off, hoping to get pennies on the dollar because they don't really have a business that's sellable. And that's sad to me. That hurts because they spent 30 years building this business, but they never planned for their exit from the business. Hey, Malin, you know, if you think about you know, when we had our shops, yeah, we're running a business, but do we really just have a job? Exactly. Did we start a shop and just have a job? You know, a business is going to be something that's ongoing, can sustain itself without you, can be sold. I'm like you. I see shops that are just closing up today, whether they just walk away or whether they pass away. And 
you know, they're with, without it being a, a true business, it has no value other than the land it's on. That's if it's, if the land is owned. And that's the other part of setting goals and thinking into the future is property ownership. Mm-hmm. We've had many shops in any large city now, the properties were so much more than the businesses. And the guy who's owned it for 70 or 80 years dies. His kids want the money. So they sell the property. And now the shop, 35 years, same location, same mm-hmm. shop owner. The owner of the property came in and said, September 31st, you need to be out. I'm selling it. 40 days notice. And that business disappeared. Next impossible to relocate that. Not in Southern California. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing available here. And, you know, I had this happen to me. I had things in place to sustain my business. But when I went down, I had a lot of things in place. But my wife came to me in the hospital and said, my number one fear happened. I own a business now that I know nothing about. And most shop owners have that same problem, but they don't even have basic things in place. Mm -hmm. Even if their family is willing to take it over, they're killed by the taxes because they don't have it set up properly and it goes through probate. And all of these things should be decided day one, in my opinion. And part of our problem, and I, I think you'll agree with me, Vic, is we don't ever think we're going to stop doing this. So the idea that I'm not going to be the owner of this business in 25 years or 20 years or whatever it is, because we live to work. We don't work to live. That's where you get our our identity from. Exactly. And it was interesting. I had a really interesting conversation, guys, with one of my newest clients. In our first meeting, he goes, I'm scared. I go, what do you mean you're scared? He goes, well, I'm moving from the shop into an ownership position. And he he goes, I don't really know what to do. And he essentially what he said was my identity's wrapped up in fixing cars. Right. And I assured him that, you know, one, he's got, you know, somebody to lean on. You know, you've had, I'm sure you had this mailing, you know, they don't know what what's coming, what to expect, but we're by their side. Right. And like you you said, encouraging folks to, you know, find a coach you that you identify with and work and work along. That will help you in the transition. Absolutely. There's fear in that. There's fear in the transition. You brought up a great point. I don't mean to jump in, guys. Love the conversation. And but what I said earlier, I didn't know. If this gentleman, this newest client of yours, Vic, didn't face that fear and ask for help and basically say, I don't know what I that I don't know, then uh we get what uh, so much of we have in our industry, some very low performers, bottom feeders that are discounting like hell just in order to get grocery money. And we all know that this industry and this business of ours is so capable of incredible profits, great culture, great people, great families, great clients. It's funny because I have a couple of sayings that I tell to a lot of people, especially first time clients, is... So, Carm, you're a new shop owner. You come to me and you're starting a shop. One of the first things I'm going to ask you to do is write a job description for yourself. Mm-hmm. And boy, that screws them up, right? <laughs> because this is the typical answer I get, do everything. No, your job is to be the leader, right? To make sure that everybody else has what they need to succeed. Your job is not to fix cars. Your mm-hmm. job is not to service right. Your job is to facilitate. And in reality, what I think a shop owner's job is, is car count. Make sure the phone rings. Make Mm -hmm. sure the cars come in. And then after they've been in business a while, I ask them this question. I go, why do I care more about your business than you do? (laughs) And they go, what do you mean? I said, you don't put forth the effort to fix the things we talk about. I mean, Vic, I know you you say the same things over and over and over sometimes. Right. And the automotive repair business is kind of the definition of insanity. 
We do the same things over and over and over mm-hmm. and expect different results yeah. because change is difficult. And getting out of your comfort zone and taking the fear on that like Vic was talking about, nobody wants to do that. You know, if we talk about phrases like, you know, you said that your phrase earlier, I've got one too. Life really begins and ends at the end of your comfort zone. When you choose to get uncomfortable, then you're going to step into the next stage. Going back to that new client, Carm, we have him fill out a self-evaluation and he, you know, he sends it to me and we have our, our meeting. He goes, I didn't realize all the stuff I didn't know is we have them read themselves on a scale of one to four. And what's great is that formed the basis of a game plan. And like Malin said, you know, the primary business, your role of a, any business owner is the rainmaker. Bring the cars in the door, car count, and then be a good leader. It's fascinating when you deal with somebody who just steps into this and, want, and says, I want you to tell me what's going on. We are not all knowing, all seeing. We have a lot of experience and we have answers. And if we don't have the answers, I can call Malin and go, Malin, I got something that somebody asked me. Can't answer. Can you help me out? We've got resources. And helping these guys go from new shop owner to thriving businessman is is really cool to see that. But they all have to get to the edge of their comfort zone and step into the next part. It's also very interesting because Jim Hunt, the founder of ESI, a bazillion years ago, when I first started doing this, he told me something and I thought he was crazy. I told him, you're crazy to think that. And he goes, people are so afraid of success as then when they reach success, they self-destruct. So you bring a new shop owner in and they reach a level of success and they don't feel they deserve it for whatever reason, self-esteem, ego, whatever it is. As he put it, they tear up the playhouse. And I spend a lot of my time, I know you do Vic also, with keeping them motivated, keeping them thinking into the future and not letting them do that. And it's a constant evolution. Like I said, it's fluid. And a person you start with today, 20 years from now, is still going to need some help, Mm -hmm. but in a different place. I love that. Afraid of success. And what ends up happening to an owner who's on their counter, who's afraid of success, they're discounting like hell to their friends and their buddies and and somebody that gives them a a sob story and the best place for them is is off of that counter looking for success because I don't think they have really started to realize that extended family that's there to count on them. And to me, that is one of the most important things that they have to realize. And I guess when you find out that there are shops that are paying technicians a six-figure salary and the really big, huge markets even bigger than that, then and they ask the question, well, how? Well, maybe because you're afraid of being successful so you can make them successful. Great quote. Love that. I want to take a quick move here. I, I know you guys all have other great things to say. We'll save any of the things we didn't cover, of course, at the end of the show. But I don't remember who it was who's been on my show in the past who talked about the fact that maybe it was you, Malin, that they'd open up, a, they had paychecks that they hadn't cashed in, in a rubber band in their pocket and say, I need help. I haven't cashed these in a year. And that was at one of the trade shows. And by the way, it was the wife. I am so glad you're here because of that. And the old thing, and I know both of you agree, you got to pay yourself. You don't go into business saying to spouse, significant other, hey, uh, we'll make it. Even if we don't take any money out for a while, we'll make it. Boy, that's a mistake. Well, think about this, Carm. Your employees don't work for free. Why should you? And secondarily, pay is a reward, right? It says you did good. So if you go two, three, four, ten 10 years and you don't get a paycheck, where does that build you up as you're doing the right things? That's the thing that drives me the craziest is not just pay yourself, but pay yourself well. 
yeah. because it's important for you to see the reward. Totally agree with you on that, Malin. Not paying yourself opens the door for you to resent the business. Absolutely. I'm going in every day. I'm going in every week. I'm not making any money. And then you don't give your best. You owe it to your employees to pay yourself and give them their best because honestly, we're here to serve the customers. We're here to we're here to make an impact in the community. We're here to be a vital part of everything that our community has to offer. Well, but not paying yourself first, it does it. It devalues you and it causes resentment. We have talked so much of the emotional side of opening a business that I really want you guys to start nailing paying your taxes, hiring, pricing, margins, you know, charging correctly. Let's jump into a few of those as, as advice to a new owner. Uh, Malin, I'll let you take one of those topics. You have to understand the numbers. That's the score. Mm-hmm. And you need to set your charging structure based on your cost of doing business, not your neighbors, not the local dealership. Because if you're starting a business, your cost is much higher than the person who's been in business for 20 years. You got to stop worrying about the hourly rate. You got to stop talking hourly rate. You have to charge what you need to charge. And by the way, eggs are now $12 a dozen. Why? Because that's what they need to charge to produce the eggs. Why do we think if I charge what I need to charge, I'm going to go broke? Charge the correct amount of money from the day you open, raise your hourly rate on a regular basis, and you can afford to pay your people, and you can afford to pay yourself, and you can afford to buy the equipment and the Mm -hmm. training Mm -hmm. and have a coach to make you more successful. So in my mind, if we're not keeping score from day one, we're setting ourselves up for a potential failure. Okay, I got to jump in. I'm opening up a business in three weeks in three weeks, and I am struggling with a labor rate. And I know I just left the shop and I know a lot of guys that are charging $130, but you know, I'm just starting a new business. I want people to figure who I am. I'm going to charge 99. 99 is okay. If that's what it takes to pay your bills, right? Right. But that's only one number. What's really going to determine that is your effective hourly rate. Mm -hmm. Because if you need $99 to pay your bills, But I don't know that. I'm just opening my doors. I don't have a clue. I didn't do a spreadsheet. I didn't take out a yellow pad and write all this stuff down. Well, you're already setting yourself up for failure. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I charge $99 an hour, but my effective hourly rate is $40 an hour because I only produce 50% of my hours. Right. That's the correlation between the numbers you don't understand is you might charge $199 an hour. Your need is only $89 an hour. But you're only charging $60 an hour because you're not productive. I've got a technician. I've hired him for $30. He was a great friend of mine. And I'm not going to pay myself, okay? Well, wait a minute. No, you should pay yourself. You should pay yourself $40 an hour. Well, that 40 plus 30 is 70. God, what do I have to charge over here? It's almost like the blind leading the blind. And I guess the whole point of this episode is networking groups, Yes, you can go to all the Facebook groups and I get that, but there's good advice there and sometimes there isn't good advice there and sometimes there's too, too much advice there and it's not coming to you focused and channeled. And so I am all about and I have learned so much doing the interviews that I have for 1100 episodes, seven and a half years where the where hiring five different professionals, Malin, you, you hit it. I would love to branch out in who those five professionals need to be. To be successful in business, I think you need to have five professionals involved in your business. One of them being a good accountant. Mm -hmm. And your accountant should 
do exactly that, account for the monies. A lot of accountants don't know how to make money, and they certainly don't know how to make money in our business, but they need to be able to put everything in the right boxes so we have the numbers we need to make decisions. You need a financial planner because you're going to save money, I hope, and invest it. Your accountant and financial planner should not be the same person, different interests. You need to have a really good insurance person Mm -hmm. to make sure that you are covered because things happen in our industry. And there's all kinds of insurance, liability, garage keepers, work comp. You need an expert to advise you. You need a good attorney. And if you own your own property, you probably need more than one attorney. You need a general business attorney. You need a real estate attorney in some cases. And so we're going to have an accountant. We're going to have a financial planner. We're going to have an insurance person. We're going to have a coach to help us make better decisions. And all of these people you need to have relationships with where you see them at least once a quarter right? and keep them up to date with what's going on in your business. Keep them up to date with what's happening in our industry so they can best advise you how to make that work best for you. We just released an episode. Uh, it was, I think it was last Tuesday. It may have been. It was episode 812, Remarkable Results 812. Uh, Jesse and Christine Myers, and they were really a hurting couple. Okay, really a hurting couple. $300,000 They weren't making any money. It was only him and her. 18 months later, $2 million. And the biggest change was when they met this woman at a conference who sat down with them in their numbers and showed them one little tiny small change so that they could afford the coach. (laughs) And and this is where they are getting ready for their second store. And then the big takeaway from that was they had to know their roles. The husband and wife were or kind of, if you will, gray in the middle on their roles. So that, that was one of the big things that their coach helped them with. A great episode, really cool couple. I recorded that live with them uh, in Cancun. It was, it was a ton of fun and it was profound to hear that story of the quickest recovery in the world. And, and it equated to having a business coach. Most of us in our industry started out as technicians. Mm-hmm. We don't like the numbers. No. So if I just ignore them, I'll be okay. Yeah. The bank account's positive, (laughs) right? I have money in the bank today. I'm not paying myself, but I got money in the bank. And I don't have good technicians, but I got money in the bank. And the first thing that I typically do when we we start working with a shop is I want to look at their P&L. And probably 98% of the P&Ls that are being generated and paid for are wrong. Mm -hmm. Because the owner doesn't understand it and ask for the right input. So the first thing that we do is try to get the P&L straightened out. And then it's an argument with the accountants to get stuff put in the right places because it's not GAP approved to get them the information they need. GAP, general accounting. Generally accepted accounting principles. We can't use those acronyms around all the young people that are listening to this. They won't have a clue what that means. I get that. I want to jump into what Malin said about the numbers. So, you know, you are absolutely right, Malin. We hate the numbers. In my early days, when I when I decided, you know what, my back's against the wall and I need a coach and I need training, got into a 20 group. And, you know, all the guys in the group, we moaned when it was composite time to go review the numbers because all we looked at it was, gosh, they're going to point out what we're doing wrong. To us, it was all two hours. We may as well have had our fingernails pulled out. We would have spent some time getting a root canal. You know, None of us wanted to do it. But, you know, looking back on those days, Those are some of the most formative years in how I approach the business, knowing the numbers, because like you said, it's a scoreboard. And any of us are going to watch football this weekend. I'm sure we all will. And if we don't have a scoreboard, we're going to have no idea 
who's leading. Get into both your numbers. True story, right? I get a call from a client. He goes, Malin, I don't understand something. He goes, I'm looking at my P&L. It says that I've made $20,000 a month for 10 months. I said, net profit. I said, good, good for you. He goes, doesn't that mean I should have $200,000 in the bank? 10 months, $20,000. And I go, yeah. He goes, I don't. Why? Well, his P&L was GAP approved. So I went through and found $18,000 worth of money he spent every month that wasn't on his P&L because it's not there because of GAP. I said, you really made $2,000 a month. So do you have $20,000 in the bank? And he goes, yeah. All right. That's why. He goes, well, why doesn't the accountant do it that way? Because they follow their gap. They generally accepted accounting principles. Mm-hmm. And what I'm really looking for is a cash flow statement. What did you take in the bank? What did you spend? Oh, and by the way, if you don't deposit all the money in the bank because you, you think you're getting something over the federal government, mm-hmm. you just lowered the value of your business when you go to sell it. Right. You just screwed up all the numbers. And by the way, I am not the sharpest crayon in the box. And if I know you're taking cash... I pretty much guarantee you the government does because Mm -hmm. they have a $14 million software program to find that. So you lie to yourself. It's such a great point. Thank you for that. Pay your taxes, Vic. I mean, we have a show on the Aftermarket Radio Network from Hunt Demarest, who happens to be a CPA and an accredited business evaluator. And uh, Hunt just does business with uh, shops. And he's got an incredible podcast. And he has taught me stuff about economics and in-depth stuff about the balance sheet. It is not a brainiac. I can't handle it. It is down home served up on a really cool silver platter. A lot of great information. Please listen to Hunt Demarest show on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You'll find it on my feed every week when it comes out. Come on, touch on pay your taxes because that is a massive pothole. So when you look at what, what are taxes, we are to be stewards of the tax money that comes in. And sales tax is one of the number one things that will close up a repair shop. There is a a shop down the street that closed up three times. The third time he went to jail and I asked about it, you know, for my local parts rep. And I said, what happened? Like, well, he got hauled off to jail. Why? Sales tax. He didn't pay the state of Texas sales tax. And it, it comes down to knowing your numbers. Where is that money going? Where is it going to the right spot? You're there to be the steward of it, pay your taxes and pay them on time. You know, the state government's got a lot of power. And on top of that, if you run a business poorly, you're going to be tempted to take that little extra cash that's sitting there aside to you to do your quarterly or monthly report and pay it. So profit first is one of the discussion points that we've had on the show over time from Mike McCallowitz. I've done an episode with him. It was episode 421. But then there's a lot of other people that have come on and discussed profit first. And it's one of the really simplest ways to segment your money. You know, Vic, to your point about sales tax, when you know you've collected X this month, it's got to go into a separate account. So you know you can't touch it. And one of the secrets I love about Profit First, guys, and I think it's so important for a young individual who's starting up, is if you have your general fund account and you've put you put your salary, you've put your taxes in separate places, however you would like to compartmentalize, say that five times fast, compartmentalize your money, what's in the general fund is what you have to pay your expenses from. And if you can't pay them from the money that's there, then you don't have to beat your parts supplier up. For, you need to look at your expenses and parts are not expenses. No, they're not. Expense dollars saved 
is one additional dollar goes to the gross profit. But beating your parts supplier up, you don't help yourself out by beating your parts supplier up. You just create a resentful relationship and you're not really getting anything out of it other than another challenge. But yeah, expenses are one of those areas that we focused on early in, in my journey into being coached. And I didn't quite understand it initially. And then I got it. It was like a light bulb turned on because you might have, you know, you know, 15 hour Frank or 20 hour Tom and you're paying them like they're a 30 or 40 hour tech and you have them because they're, you know, it creates a sense of security. Now you're overpaying them and have you set the, the production figures where they need to be and expectations. We've done shows on transparency and, and showing your people their profit and loss statement and teaching them how it really works. And here's sales, here's gross profit, here's expenses, here's re- you know net operating income and the responsibility that we all have to this profit and loss statement. Well, you can't, first of all, I'm a person who agrees that they need to be shown and your people need to be engaged in their role in the profitability of the company. But until you know how it works, until you know, as, as a young owner, one of the goals, if I was a coach working with a brand new person, I'd say, well, within a year, you're going to share this P&L with your people. You're going to learn it and, and, and you're going to be able to teach it with how you learned it. And actually, years years and years ago, I created a, a seminar that I went around the country giving profitability for dummies, I called it. And I basically set up a $100 sale and the gross margin and all the costs. And I put the money in the envelopes for all of the different expense categories. As an example, there was $23.42 in the payroll envelope, right? And it was under someone's chair sitting in the first row of the seminar. So if you always sat in the first row of a CARM seminar, you always usually got some money, right? So Bob, who's got the $21.41, he's payroll. It's not not my money to touch, but we needed to sell the $100 in order to get that $21. And you you go down that P&L and distribute the money. And at the end, there's this net profit envelope. And that's the most important person in the entire room or entire company. And they are the keepers of new equipment and to pay for, you know, the debt service we have on the new alignment machine. They're the person that puts us, if we don't have that, we don't have new salaries. You're the giver of all of that. And that opened up people's minds that they were actually able to see, feel and touch what the P&L was like. I encourage you to do that. Before you can show it to your employees, you better understand it forwards, backwards, right, left, because if you can't explain it, it'll make no sense. Mm -mm. And so as a new shop owner going through that financial learning curve and say it takes you a year to really absorb it and get it and do it with your accountant, but please make sure your coach is with you on that learning curve because they can see it more in how it applies to our industry. When you're done with all of that training, I want you to be able to say one thing. I think I just gave birth to an accountant. <laughs> Vic, I want to give you a, a final word. Anything that we didn't cover, you'd love to cover, and then Malin will let you go last. No, just, just remember this. Life begins and ends at the edge of your comfort zone. There's the soundbite. Thank you. Thank you, Vic. Uh, shop owner, coach, so glad to have you here. Uh, shopownercoach.com. Malin. It's the numbers. Understand your numbers. Everything else becomes a little bit simpler. And share your numbers with your employees because you can't keep them in the dark. And if you don't mind, Carm, I know this is your podcast, but I'm going to take it over for a second. I am actually doing what we call profit structuring and business analysis. And we'll teach you how to set your hourly rate correctly and your cost of doing business. I'm going to be doing a podcast for ASA 
coming up in the very near future. So go to the ASA website. I don't even know the date right now, but we've set it up to do that. So I'd invite everybody to come to that and support the associations that make our industry great. Very good. You guys are both great givers of our in our industry, do all kinds of training and are always there for us when we need you. A business coaches lab, mail in is esiseminars.com. Uh, mail in Newton and, and Victor Osik, thank you guys so much for this. It was fun, enlightening, and hopefully we changed some lives out there. Thank you, Carl. Thanks, Vic. Good thank seeing you. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time. 